no matter where we face, we must face the moment of truth, baby. And we're back for part two of our financial literacy series. It's your boy, Kalito, a.k.a. Patagonias and Lattes. That's my new uh, mantra I'm going by. You can't have a good Patagonia without a latte. You can't have a good latte without a good vest on. Um, Here for part two, special guest. uh, She gave me my first acting break. (laughs) I played a car salesman on her Academy Award nominated web series. (laughs) Why don't you tell the people who you are? All right. Uh, this is Melissa from Millennial in Debt. Well, I'm half of Millennial in Debt. Uh, Shakira is the other half. Uh, we just wrapped up our second season of the series. Um, and we are like in the film festival time frame right now. And yeah, what what else do we got? What else do we need? I think I think that's a very good, uh, very good intro. If you haven't seen it already, please go to youtube check out millennial in debt season one and two again season two episode one i'm the car salesman um i haven't been nominated for anything yet (laughs) 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 but it's a it's a dope web series so check it out um but in real life you're actually not the same person that you portray on the web series so some people haven't seen this why don't you give them like a quick you know spiel of what the web series is about you know what your character is who like what her problems are, what some of her challenges are, and what your uh, guess your motivation was for even starting the web series. Gotcha. So uh, I am not like my character. My character just graduated from college, and she's trying to figure out or make a path for herself in society. Uh, she has a lot of student loan debt and doesn't really know how to handle it. So she does what most of us do when we first get out of college and kind of tries to run or pretend like it's not happening <laughs> um, until they catch up with her and kind of like start garnishing her wages. Uh, it focuses on like general millennial issues, online dating, um, finding a job, finding an apartment or a place to live that's affordable, especially in like a, a city like New York, dealing with your parents, like the shift from being a child, I guess, in their home <laughs> to going to college and then having to move back home and realize, look, I'm an adult but they're treating you still like a child purchasing your first car. So she, she goes through a lot of things that we all go through. She just doesn't really have the right focus and motivation in doing these things. So she finds herself in a lot of financial issues, uh, parental issues, like uh, love life issues. So she, she's, she's not really the wisest person and she does have really strong friends and like people around her that try to guide her in the right direction. But at the end of the day, she really just does what she wants and, fails miserably <laughs> most of the, nine times out of ten she fails and it's it's kind of just a way of like uh educating people about the the issues of being a millennial while still being entertaining and relatable and like understandable you can connect with her or hate her you know which whichever is easiest for you but yeah that's my character jordan not me though that's not how i am minor all. minor credit issues since she gave this <laughs> off credit's fucked up yeah she, she, she has a 450 credit score you know she's she's she's, she's bouncing back from a few issues that's all that's all okay 
No, that's a, a very good synopsis of the web series. Um, but it does it does speak to like a large problem in our demographic because a lot of our parents were able to, you know, get a city job and right. get a home. And, you know, a long time ago in the city, you could legit, you know, move to to Queens, as everyone did, and <laughs> <laughs> get a home and plant the foundation for your family's future. Um, and as you as you said, nowadays, we're graduating with a lot more debt and uh, the cost of living in places like New York and, you know, D.C., Chicago, Jersey is, is skyrocketing. Absolutely. So tell the folks about some of what your journey was to debt freedom, financial freedom and what kind of inspired you to uh, get ahead of your finances. Yeah, so my parents are immigrants. They both came from Haiti. Um, like you said, they came, they worked hard, they got city jobs. Sacrosse. Yeah, la poule. Um, <laughs> they got city jobs and they were able to create very strong foundations for myself and my brother, you know, and they always stressed and focused on education being the most important. We went to private school most of our lives. We were told, you know, go to college, get a job, get a degree, your life will be set. And they didn't see the shift in what was going on in our economy and, and society. And I didn't see the shift, especially going to a private school where the focus is go to college, get a degree, come out of college, get a job. But then you enter college and you try to follow your passions. I, ha- I got an English degree. You know, like what <laughs> What do people do with an English degree? And, Quote the Raven nevermore. Yeah, I get to be like a <laughs> poor poet living in your parents' basement forever. Um, but I had a counselor who really helped guide me to tell me, you know, you should get a second degree in education because journalism's a dying art form. Newspapers are dying. You know, she, she saw ahead of time that the Internet was going to come and kind of destroy English as we knew it. Um, so I became a teacher, but teachers in New York starting salary nine years ago was $44,000, um, a year. And I graduated with $88,000 in student loans. Hurt my chest. <laughs> yeah. And the thing with student loans is you may graduate with X amount in loans, but you're probably going to pay nearly double because of interest rates and things that I didn't learn in high school. And I definitely didn't learn in college. All I learned was besides English and like teaching was, oh, you don't have the money for the semester, take a loan, cover it, move on. And then that's it. But coming out, my first like stub from Sally Mae, they wanted $2,000 a month. And I was just like, I don't even make, I barely make like $1,200 a check. I can't give you $2,000 a month and still like want to eat and like go out with my friends or have a car or do something. So it was really shocking to realize that I wasn't the only one with that issue with other friends who had similar, like a business degree or other, like a dance degree, things like, oh, my passion. And like, oh, wow, I can't even afford McDonald's at this rate. So that was pretty much my my journey. Go to college, get a degree, come out, get a job. I did all of that, but I couldn't afford to move out of my parents' house. Like I had to stay in my parents' home and I had to make so many sacrifices for things that I wanted to do that I no longer could do. Like I couldn't go out and eat as often with my friends for birthday parties. I couldn't go like out clubbing. I couldn't do a lot of things because Sally Mae owned my life. And I think what was really difficult is when you this happens, everyone's really embarrassed and they kind of keep it to themselves and they don't really discuss it or talk about options and things you can do. So for like the first four years, I just sat by and paid the minimum payment I did what I had to do. I worked. I complained, and and nothing got better. When I would check my my uh, balance, it was higher than what I borrowed, oh, so and I just was like, 
am I going to have to do this for the rest of my life? Am I going to have to live at home forever and just this is it? And that's when I really just started to do my own research. I started to like reach out to my friends and talk about these things that I think communication with your loan provider, communication with your friends and your family really helped to open up the dialogue and move you forward to getting rid of that debt, which is what I, once I saw that balance go up, I was like, nah, fuck this. Like I can't, <laughs> I, was like, I can't do this for the next 30 years. So I really, I came up with a plan. I started side hustling. I started doing so much more and I finished paying in December of 2018. So <laughs> thank you, God. I didn't take 30 years, but there you go. It's definitely you go. a struggle. So you are completely debt-free with respect to education, which is incredible. I think student loans, people characterize it as good debt, right? Right. And I think, I used to agree with that, but then part of me thinks like, good to who, right? Yeah, not to us. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't discharge it in bankruptcy. No. Like, it follows you everywhere. People feel crippled by it, and it feels insurmountable. I guess the only good thing about it is that on your credit report, it's not reported as a negative. Negative. But otherwise, I guess it's good because it can give you the opportunity to make more money. Right. But there's a lot of bad about it, too. And in, I think I read somewhere that by 2020, um, something like 70% of student loan holders will default. Maybe they say like yeah. 2030. Like, it's it's fairly far, but fairly close. Like, it right. seems like in the next, like, decade or so, they think that this whole thing is going to collapse. Yeah. But um, I don't think that... Is going to happen? Well, let's hope not. But uh, what what would be, you know, your high point and your low point in your journey to getting rid of that $88,000, excuse me? So my lowest point in my student loan debt journey, my debt journey in general, um, was probably when I was around 25 or 26, because that's when we all started having, like, the midlife crisis, even though we're 25 or 26. And I, <laughs> I really sat down. I was like, wow, I live at home with my parents still. I graduated in 2010 and I'm still at home. And the amount that I borrowed is not is more like I have to pay more than that. And I just felt like I wasn't going on vacations. I wasn't doing lavish, expensive things. And I still wasn't seeing anything positive happen. Nothing. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I'm a teacher. Big deal. I make X amount of money. Like that's that's not it wasn't fulfilling for me which was so sad because I entered teaching. It was, I loved it. It was fulfilling. And I think the fact that I wasn't being paid what I wanted to be paid in order to handle this debt, it really just made everything suck. It made everything negative. It was really dark. Um, And I think one of the highlights of my debt life was when I created Millennial in Debt in 2017. Because like I said, the most important thing is opening up that dialogue and sharing information and knowledge and opportunities to get rid of debt. And, And just talking to people who were like, I had the same problem. Sally Mae calls me 30 times a day. And just, I think being able to speak to people and creating the series and putting my story out there was one of the highlights. And that motivated me even more to like focus and funnel all my money into paying off that debt. There were years where I was paying like 14 or $15,000 more than the uh, payment, the annual payment that was expected of me. Cause I was just like, get rid of this debt. And, and what you're saying, I, on paper, student loan debt is considered good debt because like it's it doesn't negate anything on our credit report. And it's also was my first line of credit 
Like, so it, is, uh, it appears that my, I've had credit since 2006 because I, w- I got a student loan. So uh, that are the only, those are the real benefits to you. Good to know. Um, besides that, <laughs> it was such an emotional drain to have student loans. And it, you do feel so crippled. You feel like you can't live your life because you have this dark cloud over you. But like I said, talking about it, focusing, making a plan, sending extra payments, even if you can send only one extra payment a month or a year, it still matters and it's beneficial and it will help like move your payoff date closer to present time. Um, I had a loan that was set to be finished paying in 2030. I don't know why they expected me to do that, but (laughs) like I said, I finished paying that this past December. So screw you, Sally May. (laughs) I'm done with you. And what would be your high point on that journey? Like your eureka moment where you felt like, you know what? I can do this. Um, I think my highest point before creating Millennial in Debt was when I made my first large lump sum payment, which was in 2016. Um, I paid off $11,000. I had I had been saving and saving and saying, you know, at the end of the year, this is going to this loan to get rid of it because it had a 14% interest rate, Sheesh. which is... Out of lot, yeah, that's uh, almost in line with like the lowest credit card rates. Like, fourteen <laughs> percent is really high. Like, car mortgages are at like five percent. Car loans are right, at like right. three to five. So, fourteen percent on a student loan payment with compound interest because compound interest you're getting charged daily. So every single day they're adding fourteen percent interest to oh your balance. Gosh, I can't feel my right. Can't feel my feet. Exactly, compound interest is so malicious. It's terrible, and that is what student loans um, have that interest. So I really wanted to get rid of that loan, particularly because no matter how much I paid towards it, if I didn't get rid of it, it would just keep the balance would just keep like upping. Um, so that was like my highs when I got rid of that 14% interest loan. I was like, yes, I got this because the rest of them were all below seven. So right. I was like, you know, this feels more doable. I can, I can get this done. So that was definitely like, all right. Like, and I do recommend when you're choosing which loans to really focus on, to focus on the ones with the highest interest, just to, so you pay less money in the long run. Well, that's a nice piece of wisdom right there. And that's a, <laughs> that's a nice uh, gem to drop. Um, so you've gotten rid of that debt, you're teaching. Yep. And now you have another major life moment. I do. Which is <laughs> much more more positive. I want to tell people what, what that one is. I bought a house. Excelente. Excelente. <laughs> Thanks. So did you uh buy the house outright like oh no i wish <laughs> or cash monies or <laughs> no i'm not that good i wish maybe like next time like in the future uh no so i did get a mortgage a mortgage is the number one debt in america followed by student loans so there's a trillion dollars or like 1.8 trillion in mortgage loans um in america right now <laughs> i'm part of that percentage now um so what i did was i finished paying off my student loans i had about twenty five thousand dollars left um, on that debt. So I was saving really just to finish that. And then I had about like almost 60,000 left because I'm like a crazy saver um, to put down for a home. So I'm moving to Long Island. Pray for me, y'all. Uh, so I put down 20% so I could afford PMI. So if you don't know what PMI is, it's um, like an insurance that your mortgage will put on top of your mortgage in order to like protect them. Um, because you didn't put down 20%. So they, so it's your mortgage. And like, if you move into a co-op or a condo, you'll have like your, uh, co-op fund, your maintenance fees, fees. and then you'll have the PMI. So if you are trying to like 
buy a place or a home, you want to try to get that 20%. If you can't, understandable because life is expensive, um, but you will have that PMI on top of all of that. So that's going to be an extra like fee in your life. So mm-hmm. I didn't want that. So I, I really like say, tried to get the 20%. Um, I put down the 20% and I, you want to keep a little extra besides your down payment because you'll have closing costs and renovations and, and all that kind of stuff. Life is so expensive. So yeah, so I'm not out of debt yet. I just put myself back in, <laughs> but um, I have a plan for that too. So we'll So there. one, I think it's remarkable that you were able to, you know, put down so much. I think you kind of glossed over that, but you had, you know, <laughs> good amount of cash monies and this is dope because it's the second episode in a, in a row where we had someone you know, saying that they had sixty or seventy thousand dollars saved up, yeah. and they took that and put it towards a home. Which right. the funny thing is that it sounds like you grew up in a home. First mm-hmm. guest also grew up in a home, and <laughs> as soon as they were out of you know bad debt of sorts, it sounds like the common theme is to now cement yourself with a home and right. use that as like a good you know starting point. Yeah. Just just out of curiosity. Why did you jump right into a home instead of renting for a while first? Yeah. So like you said, I did grow up in a home. So I know I didn't. I mentally couldn't like be in an apartment. There's nothing wrong with being in an apartment, but I I had a backyard and like just. Some in the whole Brooklyn. Yeah. No. (laughs) I just I knew that like from from a young age, I knew I wanted to be in a home and you obviously you can rent I've had many friends who've rent, rented homes and like lived in um, that's like saying I'm not racist I have a black friend no I have friends, <laughs> I have friends that rent no it's fine <laughs> renting is fine I just I knew I didn't um, want to rent and I knew I wanted to be in a home um, my parents also paid rent for a long like almost all my life living with them um, so they would always complain like because essentially you're paying off someone else's mortgage when you rent or you're paying off someone else's like you're helping them get ahead uh their finances ahead which is nice of you i guess but like (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that but um i just i knew personally that i didn't want to rent so i i stayed longer at home to save that money and if you can't stay home i know it's annoying um but try to stay home as much as possible so you can build those giant savings accounts because once you get out there and have to pay housing it's a whole nother ball game because you can't tell your landlord like, oh, I don't have the money this month or that you're going to be homeless. So like, <laughs> you want to get your finances in order. And if you can stay home, I highly, highly, highly recommend that doing that. Got it. So you mentioned that you have a plan for your home. But before we get into that, mm-hmm. can you just speak on some of the benefits of home ownership? Because I think some people say, well, renting is better until you figure out where you want to live long term. Right. And Renting some in, in some ways can be cheaper, but I think people don't understand that there's some legit values in having a home and, right. you know, the government and the banks treat you differently if you're a homeowner. Yes. So <laughs> then you get some tax breaks. Um, yeah. So owning a home is very expensive, as I'm finding out now. However, I do think that it is beneficial. I don't think it's the end all be all if you don't own a home. I don't think you're like a bad millennial. I think it's fine. <laughs> but um Owning a home, you do get tax breaks. So that's like a major thing. If you always constantly paying back or you have it, like you can't claim something, you can claim your home because you pay taxes on your home. So you do get that back um, when you file like, your income tax. Owning also, like I said, you're you're paying down your own. You're, you're investing in yourself, essentially. You can sell that house for more and make a profit. You can rent that house out in the future and have like a passive income, which is essentially like one of my plans when I... You know, because I'm not married. I don't have children. I don't know like where I'm going to end up. So 
I can keep this property, which is now mine, to use as passive income in the future. I can rent it to someone else who wants right. to rent a home. That was like one of my biggest selling points. So I went into it as if it was like an investment for future funds, um, which you can't do with if you're renting because it's not yours technically. Um, so yeah, so that was just like my biggest motivator. Like, oh, I can I can rent this in the future. I can make more money, make side money. You can charge more than what you're paying in your monthly mortgage. Um, so that was like my biggest high point. So that's why I, I always say own um, versus renting. Because you could just do more. You have more ownership of your space. And you can also take out equity in the home. Yes, you can. And, you know, put it towards other homes. Right. I've also heard that you can even, not heard, I read in a tax class that you can actually uh, get qualified home expense loans or, or yes. even just take out against your your house for like renovations. Yep. Or even if you want that, you know, that fancy car, you can do that too. <laughs> yes. And then get a savings on the interest you're paying on it and put that back into your, your tax breaks. So yeah. there's a lot of legit things you can get, but homeowners and property ownership has always been uh, favored in in America. And I also feel like property owners, like you said, you get so much that comes with that. If you buy property in the right area, mm-hmm. that money goes right to the school teachers. <laughs> and, you know, you, you got to pay teachers, keep them happy, but you can also see that money spent on your parks, your roads. Like it just creates in so many ways a higher quality of life for you if you plan on staying in that area. And like you said, if you don't, now you have an asset that you can, you know, transfer right. to uh, someone else for profit, or you can even, you know, transfer it to your children right. or to, you know, a relative. Like there's just so much more you, you can do with it. And I think if you're in a position to um, to buy, it's something to definitely consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's nothing against renting, but I think no, you gave a very good, not. you know, rationale as to why you chose to buy a home so definitely congrats on that thanks that's i'm a, so stressed <laughs> <laughs> but that's good stress that's good stress right i guess so <laughs> <laughs> um so the other thing i think young millennials don't really agree on besides home ownership mm-hmm. is car ownership right <laughs> some people think that um you should only buy a car cash and with that um, you don't have a car note, but right. others feel like, well, leasing you have a almost like a guaranteed working car because it's really on the dealership to maintain the car yeah. for you. And then others feel like, well, if I find if I finance a car and I can afford my monthly car payment mm-hmm. and insurance, then that's fine as well. Where do you fall on that scale? So my dad leases a car and he's definitely not a millennial. Um, and we fight about this all the time, like at Thanksgiving and at dinner, all that. Cause he's, he's pro lease, pro lease, pro lease. And that's because he, he financed a car before. And then during Hurricane Sandy, his car got like damaged beyond oh, wow. repair and um, he got nothing for it. He didn't get money for it. Nothing. So he was like really ticked off and he's, you know, if I had leased the, the dealer would have just like given me a new car and it would have been fine. So that was his whole point of view. And that's true. The dealer does handle a lot more when it comes to your car, if it is leased, because it's essentially you're just borrowing it. I I look at leasing and financing and own a car ownership very similar to how I look at like buying and renting property. Um, I mean, there's differences, but I, I hate monthly bills because it takes away from my monthly money. 
Um, so I don't want to be constantly paying a monthly car note, especially when cars depreciate very quickly. And I, I just, I know you're in two years, you can get a new car in two years, you can get a new car. I don't want to keep paying monthly for a car. Like that's just not something that I, I value. Um, I've had my car since 2013. It's a 2009. It hasn't really given me any issues. So I haven't had a lot of maintenance and, and repairs and things that I've had to handle besides like oil changes or like tire, like just regular car stuff. Oh, the Maserati that's parked out front? Ah, no, I drive a <laughs> Nissan Altima. I drive a teacher car. <laughs> that uh, is a... <laughs> Altima's, uh, Camry. Centra's, Camry's, yeah, teacher cars. Civics, um, Hyundai, like anything Hyundai. Those are all like teacher type cars. Yeah, because they're so affordable and they're like low Super reliable, yeah. Yeah, so I... I finished paying off my car note in two years. I had a five, like a 60 month um, contract, whatever they, the loan. Um, and I shopped around for it. I got a credit union. I got like 1.8 interest, mm. which was like That's phenomenal. Beastie. Beastie, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think I paid like when it was done, I think I paid maybe like $200 in interest on the car, which is like great because I hate paying interest. Which is insane because um, most deals I've seen for tier, so there's like tier one credit, yeah. but there's, People don't know there's also a car credit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, trans, trans, was it TransUnion? Like, I don't even know. The, thank you. Like, I always, yeah. I always butcher their names because I don't, okay. I don't necessarily rely on those. Yeah. But in terms of cars, there's like a, a different credit score that they use to right. measure to your, your car worthiness. And um, if you're tier zero, what you don't know is that tier one and tier zero, the difference is tier one is like, you see on TV, Car X has, like 1.9 APR mm-hmm. for, you know, 60 months, yeah. right? Tier zero is um, like 1.5 to zero APR, but you got to really have like never miss a car payment to get that, right? Yeah. So to get 1.8 is amazing, <laughs> but it's also great too, because I went through a credit unit for one of my old cars mm-hmm. and originally I got hit in the head because I went to a dealership, mm-hmm. Acura Manhattan. And then, you know, they were super trash bags. And um, I went there. I was like, Flint Flossy. I'm like, yeah, I got like 5000 to put down on the talking. Yeah, like, <laughs> I thought I was, you know, talking, talking to talk um, and wound up getting got. And my car payments weren't even crazy, but um, the interest was crazy. Yeah. So the car was maybe $12,000. But after, you know, carrying costs and everything, I was looking at paying back $27,000. Yeah, so then I wound up getting a... A refinance to a credit union and they pretty much was like no 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 no. how much do you want to pay a month See? Yeah. okay and they brought it right back down to i think my my apr dropped to like a fraction of it and i was able to pay the car off like in a fraction exactly. of the time yeah that's I, because car dealerships make money off of you when they do these deals like they have deals with specific banks that they work with and they want you to sign with this bank because then they get like a profit from it and that's why I never do that. I come in with my like check from my credit union. I already have my loan solidified. I'm like, I want this card. This is it. Don't upsell me. Like, don't give me anything else. I already know. Um, and I was, yeah, like I said, I was able to pay off my car in two years because I know I didn't want to pay that monthly bill for much longer. And in New York, having a car is wildly expensive just to have it. Like, you have to pay your insurance. We have an annual inspection. There are other states that don't have annual inspection. We have biannual registration fees. Like, it's just so much just to have a vehicle that I didn't want to have a car payment on top of all these things that I had to pay for. 
Um, So that's my thing with leasing. If you can finance a car or buy a car outright that is going to be reliable and you're not going to be in the the garage every other week, I do recommend going that route. If you know, like, I have to travel miles and miles and miles and I really can't, like, be, I can't, like, take a chance, then leasing might be your option. But even with leasing, you still need to get the best deal for you. Like, my my dad's car costs way more than I'm comfortable, like, paying, but he, like, he's in a different financial bracket than I am. But, yeah, so he has, like, a really high interest payment. He has a high monthly high, because with leasing, your insurance also goes up. Your insurance has to go up because your your minimums have to go up because you have to cover so much more mm-hmm. on the car versus if you finance, you can pay much lower in car insurance. So his car insurance is really high. His car payment's really high, but he feels the security in having a lease that I don't need. Like I don't personally need to survive. So it's just, it depends on your needs. I don't see the financial benefit in leasing, but I guess like when I get older, maybe like him. <laughs> so... You just out here dropping a lot of gems. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> because the sunken cost and the underlying cost behind things are what people don't necessarily think about. Because even now, you know, I got a reminder that my inspection is up um, yeah. in April. And they also um, want you to do um, the annual, sorry, have a registration that's up in in. April, right. but my inspection is due this month. I totally forgot about yeah. that. But there's also, um, when, like when I owned my car, mm-hmm. I had low profile tires, and I was going through a, like a brand new tire, right. a $200 tire every three weeks. Oh, Potholes, no. right? My so, heart. So I had tire insurance through, uh, through Sears, and right. they were like prorate the amount of wear on the tire. So they were seeing me at some point, oh. they got used to seeing me. Yeah. And they, like they'd see me be like, okay, he needs, you know, XYZ tire. And they would just ask like, what's your, your serial number? And mm-hmm. we'll put it in. Okay. Here's what you got to pay you this time. Right. So I got oh, tired of that and it was oh, draining. Yeah. And, um, at some point I felt like, well, I'm tired of having to deal with that kind of stuff. But, but then, you know, I, I've leased cars because leasing for me is a, a comfort to know that right. this car is going to be reliable. And um, when things happen, like if there was an issue with a tire, mm-hmm. I go to the dealership and, and say, have at it. And now most dealerships that I deal with will come pick the car up and bring it back, right. and I, which is great. Um, but, you know, the other thing that you don't realize, too, is that it does make your insurance go up. Yeah. But you also then have to realize that depending on how you drive, you only get a certain amount of miles per year yeah, to deal with. That's true. Too. Um, <laughs> but I've also had car problems with, with my old cars where it's like I had like an electrical problem and the car shut off while driving, or like the cooling system just went mm-hmm. and the car was leaking like fluid. So it's like these problems. I'm going to like the dealership and they're like, "Oh, just give us like you know two thousand. I'm like, "No yeah, thanks." That's exp- yeah, and then I'm going to like you know. A, a person that works on these kind of cars and they're like just give me $700 but still expensive. <laughs> even if you you know have the reliable car no note you should still build up like a fund yes. to handle like maintenance on the car and that's the thing if the maintenance on the car like you said if the car is not reliable or it's an older car you should have to factor in you know some type of cushion mm-hmm. because just because you don't have a note doesn't mean that you want the stress of having to pay someone a few thousand for a transmission. Oh, like there's God, certain things yeah. on, on a car that if it's an older car and it's, it's um, go. like 
things are going to go, which is why you have to really shop around and know what you're getting. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when you're leasing, um, I've been fortunate to lease and not put any money down. Yeah, my dad too. And get good deals. Um, and I still haven't sold myself on like buying a car again just yet. Right. Because the cars I want are cars that I'd rather have enough property to justify spending yeah. you know, a certain amount. Of- I also agree that with that too. <clears throat> you know, like I don't, I don't want to buy an expensive car and then have to park it in the street. Like right. then that makes your insurance go up. You want to have a place where you can put it in a driveway or in a garage. So these are all things that I factor in when I'm thinking about like major purchases like a car. Um, and you bring up really good points with a lease. If you have a car that you finance and paid off and, and it's giving you a lot of headache, you're still spending a lot of money. The The overall outcome for what you want with a vehicle is to spend the least amount of money, get the most bang for your buck, like less stress, make sure it's functioning proper, properly. So it's really a case by case, you know, situation. It's what works best for your pocket. That's that's always like my final advice. What works best for your pocket? And that's the route you should take. And I totally agree on that. The other thing, that, the other thing I want to tell people too is that whether you're financing lease or you own, um, if you do choose to finance or lease, your payments shouldn't be crazy. So just because you can afford, you know, let's say seven hundred or eight hundred dollars a month, in which is to me that's that's super Sorry. crazy, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> right. But it's like leasing in some ways can be more expensive. Um, but it's not always. I don't think it's like settled, right? Right. But depending on what you watch, some folks say it's way more expensive because if after the lease you want to buy the car, mm-hmm. it's a lot more. But if you don't want to buy the car at the end, you have a clean slate yeah. and you know you don't own anything, right? <laughs> but um you, you get something else. But um don't spend eight hundred dollars if you can't comfortably treat it as a line item that's auto paid that's not affecting your overall budget. Like it shouldn't be a crazy chunk of your your overall yeah um your overall income and that can vary you know there's folks I know who make let's say one hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. they maybe have no other bills and just want to you know drive something that costs seven hundred dollars a month and if that's the only expense you know it's not bad it's not bad but if you only make forty five thousand and you have to park that car in the street and you still have other expenses, credit card debt and other debt. Bad move. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a bad move. Like don't make 44000 and lease or finance a car that costs 65000 Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because now, you, now you're putting yourself, you know, behind the ball in um, some regards. But as you said, it's all a matter of what works best for you. And mm-hmm. it, the more information that you have, the better you can kind of make that decision. Yeah. You want to arm yourself with knowledge. Like go into the dealership, know what you can afford. Don't let them talk you out of it. Don't, don't try to get cute with your Maserati. The Toyota will work just fine. (laughs) Get the Toyota. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of dealerships, um, I've dealt with dealerships. I'm actually car shopping now Mm -hmm. and, uh, (laughs) with the test driver car, but we did all the research already. Like we knew exactly what type of model, what type of, features um and one of the best things i've ever learned is talking to older people who understand cars and, and understand like finance and like car dealerships mm-hmm. um because the best things i was told was one 
don't negotiate in person. Have, like, have everything settled. Like you said, go there with your check. Right. Know exactly what you want and say, I want that here. I'm not here for the games. Yeah. It cuts out a lot of the power because dealerships used to operate on this power or perceived power. It's like, oh, this person knows nothing and I'm going to instruct them into this car. And exactly. I'm going to... And that way, I upsell them to something because I'm going to be perceived as, you know, a steward of car success, and mm-hmm. I can give them what they need because I know better than they do what they yeah. need, right? But if you go there and you say, okay, I want to test drive that, and you're very minimal with your personal details, like don't tell them where you work, what right. you make, don't yeah. don't talk about financing versus leasing. They don't have much to go off of except that you don't want the, you know, I want that car, and then if they offer something up they may try to offer you up the you know the mid-range or the low model to see if you go for it Mm -hmm. so we went to a dealership and they offered us you know the lowest base model which Mm -hmm. isn't a bad car but it wasn't what we wanted so we said no actually we want to look at you know this model with these features right and the person reacts like oh that's a x amount of dollars a car i didn't ask you that (laughs) but we expected that so poker face we said yes we know we've done the research and we built the car five different ways online. He's like, well, it's, it's way better in person. I'm like, well, no. that's why we're here, yeah. to see it in person. So then he's like, oh, do you know what you want to do? I said, in terms of what? You know, financially? I said, what I want to do is see the car. Yeah, exactly. So don't play games with <laughs> at, at this point, you know, um, he's like, do you guys want to test drive? I said, yes. So I walk away. And then my wife told me afterwards, when I walked away, the guy was like, you know, does he like the car? He's so hard to read. And... <laughs> She's like, it's not about what he wants. I'm the one that has to like the car. So he, so the guy's throwing off. He's like, um, so what features, what features do you want in the car? So we're like, oh, we want, you know, digital dash. We want navigation. We want, you know, side airbags, whatever. He's like, well, this car has, you know, a certain amount of horsepowers and things like that. I don't know if that guy has. So basically he said, I don't know if that interests you both because, you know, I'm, you know, very into the tech aspects of cars. Mm-hmm. So I start laughing in the back of my mind because I'm a computer science major. Right. So I think he meant to say that he's into like, you know, horsepower and things like that. Yeah. That that matters if you're in a city, zero, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm not going that fast. Right. Um, <laughs> not going that fast, but that's all he really had, right? Right. So we test drove it. He's like, do you feel that? I'm like, it has some cool features. It's like it conserves gas when you're low. So it'll... Auto shut off at the light right. while idling. Yeah. Which, which is cool. That's cool. It's cool. Like, the car will run in, in manual and automatic. Like, mm-hmm. It was cool stuff in the car. So then after that, he's like, um, okay, so we're back. What are you guys thinking? I'm like, this is great. I really love this car. He's like, okay, great. So what are you guys thinking about next steps? We're going to go keep shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, his face. He exactly. was tight. He was exactly. tight. He's like, oh, what else are you shopping for? And I threw out, like, really expensive cars. Mm-hmm. And I watched his face and I could tell that he was like, I could tell he wanted to ask more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he asked again, oh, are you going to find it to lease? I'm like, we haven't decided that yet. And then he's like, okay, well, here's my car. Someone else walked in. He just bounced. Yeah, because they're trying to make, they don't care about you. They're right. trying to make the money. But once you take away all their power and you can make it about what you want in the transaction. Yeah. It works that way better. Last time I leased a car, they almost held me hostage for like four hours. Oh. Because the finance manager kept coming back with these insane offers. So I just got up and went to the salesperson and said, I'm not talking to you anymore. Who's the finance person? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you can talk to me. No, no, it's fine. Who's the finance person? Yeah. That guy, I went to him. Hey, um, where you get these numbers from? 
He's like, oh, well, uh, he had nothing. I said, listen, here's what it is. Here's what I want to pay. He was like, well, um, that's for, you know, tier, tier zero. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, like let's talk the numbers. Mm-hmm. And once we agree on the numbers, you can run my credit and we'll go from there. He's like, yeah, but if I run your credit and it's not, I wouldn't be telling you to run my credit so confidently it, yes. if I couldn't. But sometimes you, you got to talk to them in, in a way that lets them know that they sound borderline insulting and stupid by assuming that, you know, you right. can't. B- because it's their job to make these, it's fucked up, but in some ways it's their job to make these visual assumptions about you yeah. and use that to guide their treatment of you. Um, and not every dealership is the same, but if you can say the right things and carry yourself the right way, it doesn't matter if you're wearing moccasins, leggings, suit, right. jeggings, <laughs> snowsuit, sweatpants, whatever. If you can talk the talk properly... You're going to command the respect and make right. it a much more enjoyable experience. And get what you want. And get what you want, which is the most important thing. Right. So, you know, again, on leases, you shouldn't be putting any money down on the lease. The only thing that you should be paying are the taxes. Mm-hmm. The payment should be something that should be manageable, very manageable, such that you can put it on auto pay and not have to worry about it. Expect your insurance to go up. If yeah. you finance something, try to get, you know, those tier zero, tier one APRs. And it make so much difference in your monthly payments. Trust me, <laughs> like so much difference. Absolutely. And if you just want to buy something outright used, which is fine as well, make sure that you still build in some type of emergency fund. So mm-hmm. if, you know, a carburetor or alternator or, or a transmission goes on you, especially a transmission on an automatic oh, car, God, yeah. a transmission can easily cost you. If you pay 5000 for the car, the transmission costs you half of that easily. Yes. E- yeah. <laughs> easily. So yeah, and your car won't go with a bad transmission. It so. will not. It will not. <laughs> I learned that. I learned that. So definitely get the Carfax on all your car purchases. Too. There you go. Are there any closing words you want to leave with our listeners about your platforms, things you have going on? Um, closing remarks. Uh, I just want to say, come follow Watch Millennial in Debt. Uh, we'll be bringing new, fresh content in 2019. We're really excited. To focus on like different types of debt more than just student loans, although that was like the beginning of our platform. So we'll still give information on that, but we we're bringing really cool big stuff. So come join the ride; it's fun. We're funny, um, and we answer all of our like questions and DMs and emails. So we're friendly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you want to invite anybody to jump in your DMs. I mean, it's fine. you sure? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> we'll screen. We'll screen the, the DMs. So speaking of DMs. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, at Millennial in Debt on Instagram. You can go trialsandtresses.com for all of our like blogs if you want to read up on all any of our financial things. We're Trials and Tresses on Twitter as well. And you can email us at millennialindebt at gmail.com. So this has been part two of our financial literacy series. I want to thank Melissa again for giving me part of her time on this <laughs> bright, this bright Saturday. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> and uh, over and out. Bye.